old rugged cross, isn't that? Man, I tell you what. We may have to extend one more week just so we can sing that. Unfortunately, this is the last week. We will be together around the cross. Appreciate y'all braving the weather this morning and getting out and the elements. Anyone need a handout? Anyone short a handout? Timothy will bring you one if you need it. No? Okay. Okay, this is the, the last of the five weeks that we're going to be spending on the cross, the glory of the cross, we've called it, and we appreciate Charlie being here week by week to lead us in singing, right? That, that really helps us. The glory of the cross, we've said, I think, just about every week since we've been meeting that the glory is not so much in the cross itself because the cross was a very cruel, hideous way to die. It was reserved for execution of the vilest of criminals. But the glory in our cross comes in that on that cross, Christ accomplished for us everything needed for salvation. Everything that the Father had for him to accomplish, he did. So in our last week together, I want us to change gears a little bit, still talking on the glory of the cross, but talking about how the cross is applied to us, and we've, we've seen that week by week, but how does it impact us in our daily walk? Okay, This is what we want to talk about this morning. The key to applying Christ's achievements on the cross is our union with Christ. Everything that Christ did on the cross, he did for us. Okay, And we're going to be looking at that this morning. We talked the last several weeks about the cross and the price that he paid to propitiate the Father on our behalf. We sang about that this morning. We talked about propitiation. We talked about redemption, justification, reconciliation. Each of these points we've talked about and how it relates to us. And we believe that these are true. We stake our lives on it, we stake our eternal security on it, and today, like I say, we want to now look at the cross and how it affects our daily lives. Okay. Romans 6 is a glorious study in the application of the cross. Unfortunately, we have, as of right now, we have about 50 minutes to cover what should take about six months probably to cover. But we're going to do what we can just to kind of um, skim the surfaces. I was talking to Wendy this morning, and we agreed that 
Romans 6 is really, if there's ever a chapter in Scripture that you just have to soak in in order to be able to glean anything from it, it's, it's Romans 6. We're going to pass over it this morning, but I do that only hopefully to whet your appetite to spend the, the rest of this year in, in, that, in that chapter. It's glorious. Christ's death and life and all that he accomplished are ours as a result of our union with him. I think I gave you a quote there from Jerry Bridges. I had to, it was so good I had to give you a copy of it. He says, we must keep in mind that our justification and our sanctification by God is based solely on the meritorious work of Christ and our union with him. That is, God sees us legally as so connected with Christ that what he did, we did. When he lived a life of perfect obedience, it is as though we live that life of perfect obedience. When he died on the cross to satisfy the just demands of God's law, it is just as if we had died on that cross. Christ stood in our place as our representative, both in his sinless life and in his sin-bearing death. This is what Paul referred to when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. To live by the gospel then means that we, we firmly grasp the fact that Christ's life and death are ours by virtue of our union with him. And that's a capsule of what we're going to say this morning. So if you all want to leave and go home and get some coffee, that's what we could talk about this morning. Thanks for staying with us. Our union with Christ is confirmed in different ways by Paul. There are 164 references in the New Testament concerning our union with Christ. He uses terms like in him, in Christ, in the Lord, crucified with him, uh, we died with him, we were buried with him, baptized in him, united with him, once for all. He goes on and on and on, 164 times. Now, I did not go through the New Testament and count those, but I'm going to trust Jerry Bridges to, to know what he's talking about, right? 164 times. This is a major, major uh, truth that we need to internalize into our lives. Our union with Christ is the basis for our justification and for our sanctification. And Romans 6, we're going to be walking through parts of Romans 6 this morning. And so I invite you to open your scripture. We've, I've given you most of the verses there that we're going to be talking about this morning, but I want you to, to, to have your word in front of you. Three things that we really, as believers, we need to know about our relationship with Christ, our relationship and our union with Christ. Three things. First, we need to know that all believers have been baptized into Christ. And we're going to talk about each of these as we go along. We're to know that our old self was crucified with him. And then... As Christ was raised from the dead, 
from the dead, so we too walk in newness of life. And those three, just in a, in a nutshell, will give us a little bit of an understanding of our union with him. As I said, these truths cannot be known only by our intellect, but we have to immerse ourselves in them until, until we can truly be transformed by the truth that, that's involved with them. Uh, I think it was Moody said that um, scriptures were not written to increase knowledge but to change lives. And so that's what we need to, that's the way we need to approach it. John MacArthur says we are permanently immersed into him so as to be made one with him. Paul was speaking metaphorically of the spiritual immersion of believers into Christ through the Holy Spirit and of, believe, and of the believer's intimate oneness with his divine Lord. Totally encompassed and unified with Christ is what he's talking about when he talks about our union with Christ. The first truth that we want to look at is in um, verse 3. Let's look at uh, Romans 6, and we'll read 3 through 5. He says, or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? There's the first one. Having been baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. First step is that we are baptized into his death. Because of our union with him, when he died to pay the penalty for our sins, we died. Okay? The Father sees us in Christ. Everything that we that he did, he did for us. To die to sin means that we die to his legal reign and dominion over us. Romans 6.14 says that Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What a tremendous blessing. Sin shall not be master over you. Therefore, there is no condemnation, according to Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. No longer under condemnation, but now under God's redeeming power of grace. What a blessing to, to, to be able to stand before God now, but then in the end times to be able to stand before him, not to be condemned for all of the sin that we have committed in our lives, but to be forgiven and to be get, uh, to realize that we are under his grace and that we are uh, recipients of that grace throughout all of eternity. What a blessing it's going to be. Now, obviously, uh, that doesn't mean that we no longer sin. We're not saying that. Uh, but what we're saying is that the power of sin has been broken to where we do not have to obey sin. We don't have to, to, uh, to walk in disobedience. 
God has given us freedom from the reign of sin, not the presence of sin. That will come one day. But right now we have freedom from the reign of sin. No longer are we under God's uh, law's condemnation. It's been said that God has moved us out of the courtroom and into the home of his beloved father. We no longer have a judge that's, that's, that's condemning us. We have a father who loves us and accepts us and receives us to himself and blesses us as, as his child. So the first thing that we need to know is the fact that we have been baptized. We have been united with him in his death. And the second thing there in that same group of verses, uh, verse 4 says, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Now, I don't know anything that proves that a person has died any more than being buried with him, right? And so this is, this is our proof that we have, in fact, died with Christ. We have put off the old man. We are putting away the old man. He is dead. He is buried. Colossians 2.12 says, We have been buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Buried with him in the likeness of his death. We see this when we... When we baptize someone, right? We put them under the water. Buried with him in the likeness of his death. Raised to walk in newness of life. So we are baptized into his death. We are buried with him. Um, and uh, through our union with him. But he doesn't leave us there. We're baptized, we're buried, but praise God, we're what? We're raised from the dead. And that's what we're going to be celebrating again next Sunday. Okay, so it's Palm Sunday, but we're going to be having breakfast together on Easter Sunday morning, right? So we will have our, our Easter um, messages in Sunday school tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. Then it says that we, were, we died with him, we were buried with him. And then he says, so that, the reason that we died, the reason we were buried, so that, so that, as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Okay? United with Him in the likeness of His resurrection. What a glorious, glorious promise God holds out for us. Okay? Newness of life here doesn't really talk about, um, it talks about the quality and the character. It's not talking about about time, but it's talking about the newness as far as the character of life. Um, the righteousness that, that now um, uh, characterizes Christ characterizes us in, in our walk with him. Not perfectly, but we're headed in that direction, right? We're said to have a new heart, a new spirit, a new song, a new name called a new creation, a new creature, and a new self. The old has been put off. Behold, the new has come. That's something that we can rejoice in, right? Okay. It's all new. Raised to walk in newness of life. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new, new things have come. And then, of course, the new things, Galatians 5, you're familiar with this, that we walk by the Spirit, not carrying out the desire of the flesh, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Fruit of the Spirit, the new man in our lives, the new man who's in control now, the new man who is being recreated in Christ-likeness for us. And a verse that I'm really going to, to love, Philippians 1.11 says that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Oh, that's one verse I love to pray for myself, that I would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. All too often, I'm not filled with the fruit of righteousness. I'm filled with the fruit of the old man if I'm not careful. But my desire, my goal, is to have the righteousness of Christ. If united with him in his death, certainly, he says, we will be in the, in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul counted all things to be lost in view that he might, excuse me, Paul counted all things to be lost that he might know him and the power of his resurrection being conformed to his death in order that he might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Hmm. He wanted to know the power of Christ's resurrection. First thing we need to know is that all believers are baptized into Christ. That's step one in our union with him. Secondly, we need to know that our old self was crucified with him. The result is that we are no longer slaves of sin. As we said earlier, that doesn't mean that we are free from sin. We're glad that that was true. But we don't have to be slaves of that sin. Uh, Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, why? So that we would no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Our old self, that's the old, unregenerate man. That's who we were apart from Christ prior to our union with Christ. That's the old Romans 1 man. The unregenerate man, the man who was who lived under under God's curse, right? Uh, Romans one tells us that refers to something uh, completely worn out and useless. It's uh, it's um, fit only for the scrap heap. It's the old man. It's, it's, it's the unregenerate man. There's an error in your. Um, In your notes there, I just wanted you to know that I'm not claiming um, perfection yet. So 
your notes there says Colossians 2.20, and of course it's Galatians 2.20. So if you make it, make a change there. Galatians 2.20 says, reminds us that I have been crucified by all man with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. MacArthur says that our new life as Christians is not a made-over life, a made-over old life, but is a divinely bestowed life that is Christ's very own life. And he doesn't make me just a better Joe. Hopefully, his life living through me makes me a better Joe. But my reward is far, far greater than that. It's the very life of Christ in me and in us together. In Christ, you are not the same people you were before salvation. When Christ redeemed us, redeemed our old self, our old self was crucified, put to death, made inoperative, destroyed, any other words that you can think of. It's gone. And what we need to do is to leave it gone, right? Uh, heard one time, um, trying to remember the quote now, said, um, when our sins are buried in the deepest part of the sea, and they posted a, a sign on there that says no fishing, you know, we don't dig it back up. We don't go after it. You know, this is, this is, um, this is our old man that God has dealt with, that God has laid to rest, so to speak. That He has made inoperative, but that doesn't mean that we can't dredge him back up if we want to. And why would we want to? But how often do we do it? I know I do it. You can't do that much better than I am. So. Pray that you are. Our old self, that old man, has been crucified. Was crucified, past tense. It's not being crucified, not going to be crucified. It's an accomplished fact. And then it's up to us to live in the good of that fact. Not to allow that old self to be resurrected, but to walk in the spirit and to and to acknowledge our need, our dire need, moment by moment, step by step, for God to, um, to live and to reign and rule in our lives. So our old self was crucified. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones renders a verse, do not go on living as if you were still that old man, because that old man is dead. Do not go on living as if he was still there. Accept it as a, it's an absolute fact. Galatians 5.24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. It's an accomplished fact, and we need to live in the good of it. I've, I've shared this before, but um, many years ago, before we even came to Fort Worth, Jane and I were in a church with a very godly uh, elder there, and he loved to teach the Word of God. And he didn't need notes like I do, cheap notes like I do. He just, but he'd take that old Bible and he'd, he would just roll it up, you know, 
and he pulled the chair up and he put one foot on the chair and he could teach for an hour without no, you know, at all. And he would, he would, he would share some truth with us. And then his comment was, now folks, you got to live in the good of it. Okay? We see the truth in the word of God, now live in the good of it. That was his way of, of stating it. So why did, why did God do this? Well, the, the same verse says that our body of sin might be done away with. You know, he, our old self was, was uh, put to death, was crucified. The purpose, main purpose there, that our body of sin might be done away with. While the power of sin in our lives has been broken, it is not annihilated, unfortunately. A more literal translation, perhaps, would be it's rendered inoperative. To be done away with, to render, be rendered inoperative, to be ineffective by the removing of the, the power to control. The power to control our lives has been removed, as far as sin is concerned, unless we give it that right. We can yield to it, and we can submit to it, and we can be as much under its domination as we ever have been, but who wants that? You know, um, we, we started in verse 3, chapter 6, verse 1 says, and what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? You know, no, we're not to continue in sin. May it never be. May it never be. But if we're not careful, we can give it an upper hand in our lives again. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who has set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7. Our body of sin has been done away with, and then the latter part of that verse says that we, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are freed from sin. Since therefore Christ First uh, Peter 4, 1 and 2 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, suffered death in the flesh, arm yourself with the same thinking, for whoever has suffered death in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of his life, the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. No longer slaves of sin. Our old life is now characterized by godliness, by the fruit of the Spirit, by a submissive spirit. New birth in Christ brings death to the old sinful self, but it does not bring death to the temporal flesh and its corrupt inclinations until future glorification. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of his sins. Colossians 1. So we know that we have we 
have that victory in Christ. The, the third thing that we need to know in verses 8 through 10, we need to know that Christ has been raised from the dead. We died with him. We were buried with him. But as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too have been raised from the dead. Verses 8 through 10. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Sin no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Because of our union with, with him, we have died to Christ and we live with him. Verse 11 is kind of a, a transition verse to get us into the balance of the chapter. But he says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then he puts in another therefore. And any time you see the therefore, you know that there's a transition that's coming along. And I want us to spend what time we have left just reading through the balance of this, of this chapter and discussing it. Because of our union with him, therefore, our responsibility is, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now, how do we keep sin from reigning. How do we keep sin from getting the upper hand? He tells us in verse 13, he says, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? All we have to do is to submit the members of our body to righteousness and not to sin. But it takes a strong walk in the spirit to do that, doesn't it? Present the members of your body. What would he be talking about? Our minds, our eyes, our thoughts. Every part of us submitted a decisive decision to submit to righteousness and not unrighteousness. Verse 14 gives us a promise. For sin shall not be master over you, for you not under the law, but under grace. He says, what then, verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Going back to Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He says never. And then he gives us a warning in verse 16. He says, Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death 
or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Don't you understand that when, you, when we consistently yield ourselves in obedience, either to sin or to righteousness, there's a cumulative effect. Every time we yield to righteousness, we grow stronger in righteousness. Every time we yield to the flesh, we grow stronger in that area, which is what we're doing now. You are slaves to the one whom you obey. Well, no, I'm really, I don't, I don't, I'm not a slave to disobedience. Well, look at my lifestyle. Who am I yielding to? Who's controlling my life? Verse 17 says, but thanks be to God that though you, though you were slaves to sin, going back to Romans 1, you became obedient, what, from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. How many times does, does Brother Dan remind us that, um, that it's obedience from the heart, right? Sin and obedience are a matter of the heart. As we walk in the Spirit, as we yield to the, to the, um, to the righteousness that Christ has for us, then that grows, that strength. We become stronger and stronger. Verse 19 says, and I'm speaking in terms, in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, and what does it say? Resulting in further lawlessness. See, there's that cumulative effect. We, we, we give ourselves over to, to lawlessness. We, become, we, we are involved in further lawlessness. The same with righteousness. It says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. We yield to the, to the flesh. We reap from the flesh all manner of, of ungodliness. We yield to the spirit. We, from that, we, we, we reap, uh, we become slaves of righteousness resulting in sanctification. And isn't that, isn't that what we're all about? Sanctification being our separation to, to God and to his plan for our lives. He says, when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? If I, if I stump my toe if I yield to a, a temptation that I know that I shouldn't. I have to come right back to this verse. You know, what, what did I get from that? What, what, does, what did I derive from that thing of which I am ashamed? You know, Satan will sell us a bag of a bill of goods, won't he? Go, man, it's worth it. Go after it, you know? No. What did we derive from that? You know the answer. For the outcome of those things 
is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. We yield to the flesh, we, we from the flesh, we get corruption, don't we? We yield to the spirit, the benefit, sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. Is there really a choice? <laughs> There's no, I mean, who, who would want to make the wrong choice? And yet we do, because we're not walking in the spirit, we're not walking in dependence and submission to God. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, we've, we've spent five weeks looking at the price that Christ paid on the cross to redeem us that we might have forgiveness of sin. We understand what he's done for us. How can we not follow him with all of our heart? How can we not submit to what we know he wants us to do in, in our lives? He's paid an awesome price. There is a sheet there that I gave you. Uh, a copy that I made from um, Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. If, if you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to get one. It's, it's a fantastic encouragement to us. Um, he gives you a reading based on scripture each morning and, and each evening. I thought this was so encouraging and speaks so to where we have been the last five weeks that I wanted to take the risk of boring you to death and reading it to you. Based on 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a verse of scripture we quote all the time around here, isn't it? Morning Christian, why do you weep? Are you mourning over your own corruptions? Look to your perfect Lord and remember you are complete in him. You are in God's sight as perfect as if you had never sinned. No more than that, the Lord our righteousness has put a divine garment upon you so that you have more than the righteousness of man. You have the righteousness of God. O oh, you who are mourning by reason of inbred sin and depravity, remember 
None of your sins can condemn you. You have learned to hate sin. You have learned also to know that sin is not yours. It was laid upon Christ's head. Your standing is not in yourself. It is in Christ. Your acceptance is not in yourself. It is in your Lord. You are as much accepted of God today with all of your sinfulness as you will be when you stand before his throne free from all corruption. Oh, I beg you, lay hold of this precious thought, perfection in Christ. For you are complete in him. With your Savior's garment on, you are holy as the Holy One. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Christian, let your heart rejoice, for you are in the one he loved. What do you have to fear? Let your face always wear a smile. Live near your master. Live in the suburbs of the celestial city. For soon, when your time has come, you shall rise up where your Jesus sits and reign at his right hand. And all this because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our final righteousness, our final holiness will come to us when we see him face to face one day in heaven. But today, in Christ, because of the price he paid on the cross, because of the, of the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to us, we can stand positionally in Christ holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's our promise from Colossians 1. Don't leave and tell anybody that I said we don't sin, okay? We do. Our sin is covered. Our sin is forgiven. We do have the righteousness of Christ credited to us. Matthew 